Amen. So we are in our first week of Advent, which means uh, we move on from our Jonah series and uh, follow the lectionary, which is a schedule of scriptures um, to be read um, through the year. And I chose the Romans passage because I wanted a challenge. And I liked uh, the, the theme of light in this. But before I start, I wanted to ask the question, how many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Morning people. Morning people. I'm a morning person. How many of you are not morning people? Uh, it's about 50-50. About 50-50. As morning people, I, I grew up waking up early, and my whole family woke up early, and our family had a value of waking up early. And anytime someone in our family would sleep in or go past 8 o'clock or something like that, my father would be like, lazy, you know, you guys are lazy. You need to be up and alert. This is when you get the, the most uh, work done. This is when you can read your Bible, hang out, pray with God, be with God. Don't sleep in. You waste your whole day. And I still feel like that now. If I just happen to, you know, sleep past my alarm or wake up a little later, maybe like 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, I feel gross inside. It's like my whole morning is wasted. It's all done. It's over. And uh, most of my family are not morning people, so they're sleeping in. And uh, I feel that same thing that my father felt in like, oh, my gosh, I need to wake these people up and get them in gear. They're wasting the whole day. Lazy, lazy. Um, laziness, complete laziness. And uh, we need to be alert in life. And there's something about, uh, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning before the sunrise and just going outside, feeling the cool morning air and watching the sunrise with a cup of coffee and just feeling alert, right? Just feeling alert. There are times when we wake up and we feel groggy, right? We can barely lift our eyelids, and we're like, oh, I need a cup of coffee, and we have to get up, right? Like if we have to go to work, we have to go to school, we need to wake up earlier than our body wants to in order to get to the things that we have to get to. And some of you may feel really like, I can't function, I can't, you know, deal with loud sounds, I can't talk to my children screaming in my ear, I can't process information very quickly early in the morning, and you feel groggy, right? Raise your hand if you feel like that in the morning. <laughs> Margarita. Um, and I think this is some of what Paul is talking about when he's saying that the night is done and the morning and the day is coming, so wake up! Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. The time is at hand. Wake up. Be alert. Take off the cloud of grogginess and drowsiness and put on the alertness of Christ, the light of Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And thank you uh, for this time and uh, the challenge to us to wake up and to know the time, to know that this is your season, this is your time, and we need to be awake, we need to be alert, we need to engage with the relationships around us, we need to engage with people 
where they're at, whether that's in suffering or celebration, whether that's uh, amidst oppression, injustice, um, or blessing and goodness, we need to engage and be alert and not be drowsy um, to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. The king is coming. The king is coming. So be woke, people. Get ready. Put some oil in your lamps. Open wide your hearts. The king is coming. Wake up. Know the time. Know the time. So Romans 13, um, traditionally among evangelical Christian circles, has had a problematic history. Um, because if you read, go to the top, verse 1 of Romans 13, of, uh, before our reading, and want to read the context of the entire chapter of Romans 13, uh, you see that the first part, 1 through 7, is talking about, Paul is talking about submitting to government authorities. He talks about paying your taxes and not owing and following the law. And a lot of Christians have been divided about this because on one side, one group of, one, one school of thought is Paul is talking about the need to follow, to be, uh, to need to follow civil authority, right? Follow all the laws, follow the governments, because God has ordained rulers and government and law over us to take care of us, to, to bring order. So don't break the law. Pay the taxes you need to, right? And be a good citizen, no matter what. And this is problematic because a lot of churches, a lot of Christians have used Romans 13, 1 through 7 to push people down, right? Anytime there's civil disobedience, anytime there's protest, anytime there's someone saying, hey, there's injustice happening in the system, Christians and the church have pointed to Romans 13 and said, no, you have to follow the authorities. No, you have to follow the government. No, you have to follow the law. And so it's been used to squelch. It's not Christian to protest. It's not Christian to disobey. Other, other people say, you need to take this Romans 13, 1 through 7 in context, right? Some say that what Paul is talking about is actually the synagogue, right? What it means to be a Jew in this time. And, and the, the culture and the system of the synagogue, the temple. And there are a lot of Gentiles who are becoming Christians and following Jesus. And at the same time, there are a lot of Jewish people who are following Jesus. And Paul and the early Christians never said, oh, this is a separation. We need to separate from the synagogue, from the temple, as Jesus followers, because we're creating a new religion. None of the early followers of Jesus would have said, this is a new religion. This is actually Jesus is... The Messiah, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've been waiting for. And so Paul and a lot of the disciples and apostles actually continued to meet in the synagogues and the temples, continued to follow a lot of the uh, Jewish rituals and ceremony, 
of worship and being identified as Judeans. But as the gospel is progressing, as the gospel is spreading, not beyond Jerusalem, beyond the Jewish people to Gentiles, a lot of the Gentiles were like, we don't need the synagogues, we don't need the temples, we don't need, you know, these eating laws or this or that. Which Paul, you know, Paul was flexible and affirmed, but at the same time, he was saying, you can't throw all of this out. You can't throw the baby with the uh, baby out with the bathwater. Let's continue to honor. And so, in the place of the authorities, it's not the government authorities. A lot of people are saying he's referring to temple authorities, the priests, and the taxes uh, that you're being that are being paid to these authorities is actually the temple tax, which was like two drachmas. Right? Paying temple tax to the servants of God, to the ministers of God. And so that was one way to look at it. He's actually, Paul is actually exhorting the non-Jewish Jesus followers to continue to be faithful to send their offerings and gifts to the temple. Other people say another way to look at Romans 1, Romans 13, 1 through 7 is the Jesus followers are returning to Rome after having been expelled from Rome by Nero. They were persecuted, right, the Jesus followers. And Paul is possibly giving very practical instructions to the Jewish Christians for reintegrating into Roman society. Hey, pay those taxes if they're going to keep you out of trouble, right? We don't want you thrown into jail. We don't want you persecuted. Pay, just pay, do the right thing, pay your taxes. Paul himself was known uh, for causing unrest, right? Paul caused unrest and riots wherever he went. Paul was thrown into jail. Paul even broke out of jail with God's help, right? So it's not like Paul... Paul Right, was Paul a hypocrite for saying, follow the government authorities, but I'm going to break out of jail. I'm going to cause riots and civil unrest in Jesus' name. No, right? So clearly Paul is talking about something different than without question, follow all government authorities. Without question, don't question it. Because if we begin to think that way, we're actually putting human law above God's will and God's law, right? We're saying, follow this no matter what. Even if we're, they're slaves and we're keeping slaves, right? The slaves need to, you know, be obedient because this is what the Bible says. It doesn't matter if children are being separated from their parents, right? If immigrants who come into their country who aren't supposed to be here are being separated from their parents, Children and parents, right? It doesn't matter about God's heart, what God's word says in Scripture. Follow the authorities. I'm not just saying this. This actually happens in our country. This Scripture has actually been at the center of our immigration debate at one time or another. Do you guys remember uh, Jeff Sessions? Jeff Sessions defended the Trump administration's policy of separating immigration 
immigrant children from their families at the border. Um, in 2018, he cited this passage uh, from the P- Apostle Paul's uh, in Romans 1 through 7. Quote, I would cite you to the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has, has ordained them for the purpose of order. Session said, orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and lawful. And then later on, at that time, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders summed up the same idea. It is very biblical to enforce the law. And this is all to defend Trump's separation of family policies. And uh, Stephen Colbert that week had a show where he read the rest of Romans uh, right after that passage, you know, where it says, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. And so that's our context is we can take little bits and pieces of scriptures and use it as a proof text for you that you need to submit to everything that we have established by human law and human traditions without question submit to the government and submit to authority right because that's what Romans 13 says never mind that later on Paul says but the fulfillment of all of the law right all of the law and the commandments can be summed in one thing. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Do no harm to your neighbor, for love is the fulfillment of the law. So who's following God? Don't proof text. Don't take things out of context. Take the whole narrative of Scripture. Where is God's heart when it comes to the foreigner, the immigrant, the refugee? Right? Where is God's heart when it comes to injustice and oppression? Does he say that Christians should just sit and be like, oh, let it be. Let it be. Let's not say anything. I don't think so. I think we're called to be prophetic, to be representatives of the upside-down kingdom, to live the cruciform life and to speak up and protest when things are not right. That's what Paul did, amen? All right. So we got that out of the way. Uh, Christmas. What does that have to do with Advent? (laughs) So if you take our text starting at verse 11 in Romans 13, Paul starts off saying, as you do all this, you know what time it is. What is all this? What is the this he's talking about? So then what is the this? I think, I know, that it's not following all the laws of the government and paying all the taxes um, that we argued before, but it's about doing everything in obedience to God's commands, which ultimately is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. Are you with me, church? Um, Verse 8, don't be in debt to anyone 
for the obligation, except for the obligation to love each other. Whoever loves one another, another person has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have. And any other commandments are summed up in one word. You must love your, your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the all this. As you do all this, as you love your neighbor as yourself, know what time it is, right? Know the reason for the season. And time, the word time in here is the Greek kairos, not chronos. Chronos is clock time, right? Kairos is something different. It's the pregnant moment. It's the season. It's the time, the anticipated moment where God is coming, where it's like, it's coming. Now is the time. Now is the Kairos moment, not the tick-tock, tick-tock of our daily duties and daily life, but it's like Jesus is coming. The darkness, the night is fading away, and the dawn is approaching. Know the time. Know that the time is coming, right? And... uh so Saturday, I was watching college football um, because it was my day off, and uh, was it Friday or Saturday? Saturday evening, and uh, it's rivalry weekend. That's where all the rivals in the conferences play each other, and so there are some huge game, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, LSU, Auburn, all of these like rivalry games, and uh, one of the commentators, I think he was talking about the LSU-Auburn game, and he, uh, they showed a clip of you know, the players getting ready for the game during the start, you know, the singing of the national anthem. And he's like, you see that sway? All the players are swaying like this. That's the sway. That's people getting ready for battle, right? That's the sway. And the other, the guy, the sports center anchor was like starting to sway too. And he's like, I know the sway. It's the sway of being ready and alert and ready for battle. It's not the sway in worship, right? Where people are singing in worship and you start rocking like this. <laughs> like, that sway is like, I want to dance, but I'm not, I don't have the courage to dance, so I'm just going to sway like this, <laughs> right? Or in high school, when you slow dance, it's not that sway. It's the sway of football players ready to go to battle, like, I'm ready. I'm ready to be unleashed. And that, because they know it's the time right? Now is the time. It's rivalry week. This is our rivals, and we got to get up for this game. We got to be ready to play, and we got to be play our best. And so I'm swaying because I can't hold myself back. There's all this energy, right, and anticipation and passion, the sway, the sway. And Paul is saying it like a coach in the locker room. Get ready, people. You know what time it is? Jesus is coming, right? And forget about Caesar. Forget about the, the gospel of Caesar. Forget about rulers and authorities and governments. Jesus is king and Jesus is coming, amen? The night is almost over. The day is near. So let's get rid of the actions that belong to darkness and put on weapons of light. Get ready. Be alert. Wake up. Because the light of the world has come. It's the Kairos time. 
It's the Kairos moment, the pregnant moment, the time of fulfillment. You know what time it is. Salvation is near. The king is coming. That in which we have hope is arriving. And hope is a dangerous thing, to quote read from the greatest movie in the world, Shawshank Redemption. Hope is a dangerous thing because when we open our hearts to hope, we also open our hearts to disappointment and failure and hurt, right? That's why hope is a dangerous thing. But the ch- as a church, we're called to hope. When we light this candle, we're saying this is the candle of hope. We believe that now is the time to hope. It's time to risk again and hope in this time. Amen? It's the Kairos moment. Know the time. Jesus is near. Jesus is here. The true ruler, the reason for this season, the Lord of lords, Emmanuel God with us, the name above all names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the beginning and the end, the chief cornerstone, the great I am, the good shepherd, the king of kings, the line of Judah, the Lord of all, Messiah, Redeemer, risen Lord, Savior, the way, the word. He alone is worthy and the light of the world. Forget everything around you. Jesus is king. Hope in him. Be clothed in him. He's the light of the world. So take off your clothes, your rags of darkness and put on the clothing of light. That's what Paul is saying. Dawn is here. The light has come. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Now is the time to take, cast off the darkness from us. The old stench of bad habits that hurt us and hurt others. See, my old self would be like, stop party? Don't drink? Like, Uh Uh-oh, I don't know. And I don't think this is a call to legalism, right? Stop drinking. Don't party. But sometimes the activities that we do are coping mechanisms, right? Are ways that we numb ourselves from actually engaging in hope and love and relationships. Right? We've all been to a party. Have you been to a party where everyone's drunk and you're the only sober person? (laughs) You're like, everyone is so stupid in here. What is going on? They're saying stupid things. They're trying to get in. They're just drinking so their inhibitions will go down so they can be who they want to be, right? This is so stupid. We just need an excuse. And many of my mentors have pointed out that The most dangerous time for me in my life, in the past, historically, traditionally, and something to pay attention to is when I'm bored. When Dave's, Pastor Dave Sim is bored, that's when dangerous things happen, right? I'm bored. Life is too good. I'm responsible and everything's going right. What can I do to sabotage myself? And so we can turn to sex, or we can turn to drugs, or we can turn to random partying, you know, or all of these things to numb ourselves. 
right, to self-medicate. But did you know if you numb your heart so as to resist pain, hurt, loneliness, suffering, betrayal, and loss, you are also numbing it to experience true hope, true joy, and true love. God is a God who is calling us to skydive. Be brave. Take risks. Be courageous of heart. Wake up, sleeper. Be awake. Be woke. You're sleeping, and God wants to throw some water in your face. That's so annoying. And slap your face. Wake up. So church, renew. Put on the clothes of Christ. Put on light. We are children of light. What other layers have you covered yourself with? Right? God is saying, peel off those layers. Peel the pus-filled, crusty, booger-like skin off of you. Like Thanksgiving, we had a Thanksgiving, we had a uh, fried turkey that was fried in oil. When it came out, it was ugly. It was like there's this brown, black, crusty, like, and the turkey was all mangled. But when you like peeled all of that stuff and dug in, it was so juicy. It's like the drips of oil and grease coming out of the corners of your mouth like oil down the beard of Aaron dripping down finger licking good with gravy and mashed potatoes mmm peel off that crustiness peel off the dirty clothes peel off the rags that you're wearing because they're not doing anything for you. Let the scabs and the dry scales fall off. Shed yourself and dress like royalty. Dress like you are the beloved. Dress like you are loved, you are known, and you're royalty. So what does it mean for us to be clothed in light, to shine, to let our light shine. What does it mean to shine? I think for us, church, it means to love others, to serve, to allow our, ourselves to have hope and to be contagious in that hope and to have contagious joy, right? You're gonna find that this is a season that's mixed. While everything is bright and shining, there's tinsel and silver and holiday cheer and Starbucks eggnog lattes and everything is cheery. At the same time, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of loneliness there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of division among families and separation. And what it, what it means to shine 
is to step into invade people's lives with joy, with contagious hope. Amen? Like, we don't have to be cynical in a cynical world. We can actually point to Jesus and say, there's a hope. There's hope. Right? We don't have to participate in the freeze. We can actually warm things up by offering a helping hand, by hanging out with people, by speaking a kind word, by saying, hey, I actually, you, you mean a lot to me. I want to be with you. I, I'm going to risk rejection to hang out with you, to spend some time with you. Contagious joy, right? Joy, is, joy isn't sheer, just shallow happiness. Joy is connected to a very engaged awareness um, of suffering around us, of our own pain, and yet, even though circumstances may be bad, we choose to cling to and look forward to something, something new, to something coming. And that's hope, to choose hope, to choose joy. Say, yeah, even though I'm with you, I hear you, you're having a hard time, but in Christ there's joy. In Christ there's a hope. Amen? And finally, we are a witness in our unity and living reconciled life as a community, in the ways that we show love to one another, and in the ways that we care about one another, and the ways that we're ohana, right? Which is in Hawaiian means family. It means no one gets left behind. Lilo and Stitch. Ohana, to be Ohana, to be family, and to continue to radically invite people into that family-ness through hospitality uh, and the open table. That's another way that we let our light shine in the darkness. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are a light that came into the world. Thank you that you are the king and the authority above all authority in the, in the world, and that we can lean into you and trust you. We pray for those who are less fortunate than us. We pray for those who are beaten down by the system. We pray for those whose voices aren't heard, and we protest. Advent is a season of protest, that even in your birth, your birth was a protest uh, to the things that were wrong in the world. And so we engage and step into that with a true hope and a true love and a true joy. Give us the courage to do so and the eyes to see what's going on around us. In Jesus' name, amen.